You are listening to Artistic Finance, show 83. On today's show, I chat with ghostwriter JW. We discuss types of ghostwriting jobs, how to find work, and pay rates. A few things jumped out to me. One is that ghostwriting can encompass any type of work. So I think of it for writing, but any work that someone does that gets attributed to someone else is ghost work. The other thing I learned was that writing Google and Yelp reviews can get you goods, services, and even a paycheck. I hope you also learned something in this episode. Please remember our optional fee for listening, and that is to tell somebody about the show, which can be done if you're stuck at a red light. You roll down the window, compliment the person next to you, and then say, check out the Artistic Finance Podcast. Then you drive away really quickly when the light turns green. You can also do it in line at the DMV. You say, does anybody object if I play Artistic Finance? And of course, nobody will. And then you go ahead and play an episode at full volume. So however you want to tell somebody about the show is great. I'd suggest not doing it at a funeral, but you do you and thank you in advance. So without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. We are recording this January 6th, 2022. The COVID-19 virus is going into its third year with a total of 300 million cases worldwide and five and a half million deaths, which sounds terrible, and it really is. But with 8 billion people on the planet and all the mistakes that we have made as countries and humans, the healthcare system has done us well during this global pandemic. Today marks the one-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. And while the inauguration itself was peaceful, this was really the first time in the United States history that we didn't quite have a peaceful transfer of power. Of course, five people died as a result of that. And the holidays are behind us. We're gearing up for 2022. And January is the perfect time to set up your automatic payments into your retirement accounts. And so make sure you are dollar cost averaging your way into safe investments. And remember my new saying that I just created right now, if you aren't investing, you're dying. So welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. And today I am thankful to have JW on the show. Welcome, JW. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I am a mother. Uh, she's 17. And so I am dealing with being uh, a mother who is going from full-time single motherhood to, wow, I'm, I'm going to be a single woman here again soon. And I haven't been one of those in almost two decades. And then at the same time, learning how to let go without uh, abandoning, as that's a, <laughs> a subset of trauma that many of us were told, oh, you're 18 time ago. And so don't want to do that, but at the same time, don't want to enable lack of maturity and and irresponsibility. So there's that. I am actually very proud to share because I think we as a society need to to be better stewards of our bodies and ourselves. And so I am on FMLA from a corporate position that has not given to me what I have given to it. After a year of trying to 
negotiate, have conversations around continuous improvement and the like, I decided to put me first. And so I'm in about week five or so, a first eight-week run. And one of the things that came from that uh, consultations with my primary care and other providers who have made it very clear that in the last year, they noticed a substantial difference. So the, in this time that I've been off, another thing that I've, I've done is gotten back to writing quite a bit, doing those things that bring me joy, those things that I am able to do without condition if I want to. And if I want to put conditions on them, I'm able to do that too. So that is a little bit about me in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. And then next question, can you describe your demographics? I am a female. I'm a woman. I'm a lady. A human, single. I am young enough to still make mistakes, old enough to learn from them, and wise enough to know the difference between when to accept mistakes as mistakes and when I need to learn from them. I am from and consider the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area home. And I am somewhere south of there right now. Okay. So now your creative and financial personality, what is a live event that you like to experience or a piece of art that you like? Actually, um, really weird for me. I, I love live music. No, I love live music, period. I also have pretty deep sensory and like issues uh, that make it very difficult for me to enjoy it. I tend to work really hard to find live music events that put me more in intimate house of blues type settings, or sometimes, you know, in, in the in the juke joints in the hood and the hills and the hollers where we get that pure community music so that I'm not around a lot of people and so that that noise doesn't go over such a large space. Uh, art, I have a body full of tattoos. And so I am my own favorite canvas. I use one artist exclusively, but I do have some I look forward to supporting as I transition to this new life as a single woman. Uh, but I am my favorite piece of art and my art is extremely personal to me. I love that. Oh, I love that so much. All right. Your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? Well, you know, con considering the fact that what we know about money is based on a capitalist system that uh, was built on human capital, physically built on capital taken from the indigenous peoples who resided here. And so that is a fair question. I understand why you would ask it, but I am going to answer with a non-answer. And that is for a single mother who receives no help from the father of my child, who has at times had to work three and four jobs, jobs that are in the service industry. So with a full-time job of being a classroom teacher, I would often leave my classroom and go wait tables during the week. And on the weekends, I would wait tables as well as do in-home care, third shift. Uh, so as someone who has lived a life of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and only experience outcomes of dizziness, fatigue, nausea, and the like that come from being bent, bent over trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps, I think I am fantastic with money by the capitalist standards that say that someone who works in the position that I work in for the type of company that I do and who has held the titles, the names themselves that I have over the last 15 or so years, I am not. You know, when you work in nonprofit like I have and your title is director of this or project director, there's some fancy title, but you're not netting more than 34 
five a year, you're not grossing more than 42. It's kind of hard to be good with money. So that is my non-answer answer to that question. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, we've had so many artists on and artists who don't necessarily have a lot of money, but to call them bad with money would be way wrong. Absolutely. That's purely subjective. And how many people are there who make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year that control budgets of a million dollars? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we don't believe that that is true, all we have to do is look at the pictures that have super saturated the World Wide Web of retail entities that have had to close and put out signage that expresses the reason why they're closed as not having staff to cover the space. So absolutely, one individual at the Dollar Tree, at the Dollar General can make the difference because we're at a time when that one person is the one person for the whole shit. Yeah. And a side note here that we met on LinkedIn. <laughs> and, and I'm now kicked off LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, momentarily, I assume, or not. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, the, the funny thing is it, the, the paradox of many social media sites and, and uh, one of the woes of capitalism is that it's perfectly acceptable for LinkedIn to monopolize um, the talent that is on it, the people who generate traffic to the site. And if we accept that there's long been a tradition of people using pseudonyms, using pen names, using initials, we accept that and we accept that it's something that people do professionally. Even if I were to, which I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to, a, a copy of my ID, which is what they're asking, it's going to show what I've been going by. And so who are you to question who I am? And so I have not decided whether or not I am going to play this game. Uh, but best believe if if I choose to, you will know about it. <laughs> right, 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 right. I didn't even realize that was the issue. <laughs> it's one of the few issues. I, I often I often broach topics that make people uncomfortable, that trigger every bit of fragility, of guilt, of unpleasant things that they have to sit in. And that is the nature of my work in real life. It's the nature of my work uh, in my virtual life. And I, I speak about those things and I don't just speak about them from one perspective, but even if I did, that perspective would still be valid. And so people who don't like that have a tendency to troll my comments. And so I've had about six posts reported. And so each time I have disputed and been found in my favor that no, the post wasn't hate speech. And you know, my, my, my whole thing is that if you're going to say that this is a forum where we're inclusive of all people, you have to be inclusive of people who do things that are non-traditional. And as you've alluded to, that does include artists, that does include people who are in, in work in spaces that aren't commonly accepted as warm and fuzzy. That does mean that we have to be inclusive of that quote unquote, no wage worker who controls so much of this country's economy. Uh, and, and that has not been my experience on that platform. And so that is the reason one of those are the two of the top reasons that I have been kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, what struck me about your bio, and I'll link to it, if it's available, so everyone can go read it because it's quite lengthy, but it's such a good read. So I just want to read parts of it just because I love it so much. She's an INFJ, so people often want her to talk and be the outgoing person her job roles force her to be. Those people get their feelings hurt almost all of the time because JW is easily exhausted by peopling, so avoids it as often as possible. 
I just love that. <laughs> it also showed me that you're an introvert. That Let me tell you something. In all that I do, I strive to give people what they need in order to meet me where I am because I do take great pride in meeting people where they are. Unless where they are is in a place of hate-mongering and bigotry, then that's a conversation for a different day. I am one of those folks that because I know that how I present and what people get as their first impression of me is often grossly misaligned with who I am, I want to nip that in the bud all of the time. And I'm surprised you haven't said anything about it, but uh, people will say, how are you doing today? And I'll say, I'm well, thank you. How are you? And folks say, oh, you don't sound so well with that cold. No, I'm just a woman with a deep voice. That's it. That's it. And, and, and because I am capable of commanding a room of, of thousands, and I have, people think that, oh, she's so outgoing. She's, you know, and then I always get this, you're so well-spoken. I, I think about the, the use of filler speech, and you don't do that even when you're just speaking uh, off the, the cuff, when you're freestyling. And so people think that I want to talk. No, I do it because I'm often in positions where I have to and where it's, a, you know, a topic that I want to, and I want to have my voice and support or lack of support expressed in a given situation. And so I tell you what you need to know about me. I'm a private person, uh, a person who feels I'm an empath. Uh, so if I tell you all of those things and you still come at me a way that uh, I don't like, then you get what you get. I love it. <laughs> All right, and the last part of your bio I want to read, because that's why we're talking today. JW is a ghostwriter and published author. She has written for a number of online sites under an undisclosed pen name and provides business, personal, and academic writing services to those in need. What struck out to me was the ghostwriting, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so first off, what is ghostwriting? Ghostwriting is one person or one entity performing writing services for another uh, with the writers or writer or writers getting no credit or attention for what they have written. Why do you ghostwrite versus writing in your own name or your uh, pen name? Because I get paid very well for it. And because it sometimes allows me to live in worlds that I wouldn't typically even go into. So an example of that is I write a lot of trashy romance. And that's, <laughs> I mean, we all have a little freaky side. I mean, yeah. you know, however, that's just not a topic. I remember growing up in what was her name? Jacqueline. It's just because I'm trying to recall it right now. But the novels back in the 70s and 80s, my mother had them all. And, I, and, and I've always had a, a deep appreciation, respect for and love of reading in books. And so she never really policed me when she would see me uh, with her adult books, she would remind me that I was reading something I wasn't supposed to. And she <laughs> would uh, let me know what in a given book I wasn't supposed to read, what I should not go around talking about. And, and you know, I like that. I like, I, it, it gave me a sense of power because I knew some things that, um, you know, about life <laughs> that other people didn't know. That is one of the things that I love about ghostwriting. Then the other thing is, in many cases in my real life, I cover really heavy topics. I do anti-racism, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, culture, continuous improvement in human resources spaces. When I am in the academic realm, I am in our country's most underserved schools. It's really hard to take uh, me seriously if I, <laughs> if you know that I am also out here talking about 
you know, Fifty Shades of Grey type <laughs> stuff, you know, so there's that element too. And then in some cases, I do recognize that some people just don't feel they have the capacity to have their own names associated with certain with, with certain things. I, I came across one person, one of my clients just flat out told me I have a fear of success. And because I do meet people where they are, I do have a healthy respect for the anxiety that comes from the expectation to perform. So I've got one client who's brilliant, uh, but just doesn't want people to expect that of him, her, or them all of the time. So those are the top reasons why I ghostwrite. If people are being honest, there are definitely some intersects that we will all give. And money is usually one of them. And then the love for writing, of course, that goes for me without saying. Yeah. And okay, so I love this trashy romance novel. When you ghostwrite something like that, are you writing the whole book under a pen name or are you ghostwriting under some other author's name? For me, it goes many different ways. So the way that it goes the most is that I am ghostwriting for someone else to get the complete credit. I am writing for you, Ethan, because you don't want to, and so you get the credit. Or I am writing under a pen name, that, but you produce the book, and then we negotiate what it looks like fiscally as part of that. And the majority of your ghostwriting, is it small things like a blog post, or is it a whole book? I, I do it all. I've d- and I've done it all relatively, I won't say equally, but balanced enough where there's not a big variation where it's like, oh, she does far more blogs. No, I've done a substantial amount of books. I do a lot of let me go on your website and do your content. Of course, I don't get credit for that, but that is still a driver for of whether or not your website is effective or that content is communicating the message or messages you intend and, and want it to, and it has the impact that you want it to. Uh, and then there have been several books several songs. It, it's really all over the spectrum. So wait, songs, meaning you writing the lyrics for songs? Absolutely. Interesting. I didn't even think about that part of ghostwriting. Of course, that makes sense. Um, so how do you find ghostwriting work? Like, does it come to you? Do you seek it out? I used to seek it out, but I'm at a place now where I no longer do. I no longer have to. Uh, it can be as simple <laughs> I recently attended the retirement party of a dear sister friend's aunt and her best friend came in town from Atlanta and she was the MC, the host of the party. And I read a, read a little snippet that my sister friend sent to me because her and her family are in the, the Dallas area and weren't able to come. And I was really there truly kind of representing them because she's one of the nieces that this, this aunt raised and people would have expected her to see her there and hear her voice as one of the people um, speaking on behalf of her aunt. Good evening, everybody. I don't think I need the mic. Does anyone believe that I should grab the mic? I was like, oh no, keep talking, baby. Keep talking. Oh, you have a beautiful voice. And it was a bunch of elders in the room. And then afterwards, the best friend who was the host, she was like, so we need to connect. So what do you do? I mean, that voice, do you sing? What, what, what do you do? And and so her, my friend, who my sister friend, who's in the Dallas area, her husband is a gifted musician from a family of gifted musicians, and he plays bass uh, with the with the national ministry. That's a multi million, probably billion dollar ministry. So people will easily assume that because I know them, oh, you know them because you're a musician. Well, I did sing in the choir, but I sang with the tenors, 
and not because I just harmonize best with them, but because when your voice is like mine, you can sit comfortably in that lower register and no one will know that you don't know how to sing. But I played music and so I loved music and knew it very well. And so I could always get my timing such that I never stood out as anything other than, oh man, she's actually a nice contribution to the center. And so I said, well, I don't do any of that. Her name is Miss Shell. So I said, Miss Shell, I don't do any of that. I don't think you would ever want me to sing anything for you. And she's a singer or with you. I said, I, I, I don't do anything. And she said, oh, yes, you do. You do something. And I said, well, I mean, I write. She was like, oh, I need a ghostwriter. Do you, would you, did you ever? And I was like, well, actually, I do do that. So sometimes it comes up in conversations like that. Sometimes people know that I've written something or know that I write or believe that I write well. And they'll say, hey, will you do blah, blah, blah for me? That has happened quite a bit where people have seen my various blogs at times. I'll get burned out and I'll pull it down. And But during that, people say, well, I didn't know you wrote like that. Or you could write like that. Would you write such and such for me? I'm starting this life coaching business. Will you do my web content? Sometimes it would be a lot because a lot of it was papers, doing papers. That's how it started back in the 90s in college. People paying me to do theirs and or edit theirs or, you know, give it a little bit more of, you know, you know, back in the day before you had to send things through plagiarism checks, you know, back when you were tapping on a keyboard kind of days. A lot of it is because I've been doing it so long. People just know, oh, you need something written. She'll do it. And for small things, I'm usually able to turn it around pretty fast. And it doesn't take a lot of thought and things that people have labored over quite a bit. I'm like, here you go. And truly in you know a matter of minutes because it's not mine. I don't care about it. So it's mindless to me. And I'm a, I'm a dreamer. I'm an artist. I, I'm an artist. So I'm in my own little flaky, little flighty little world. And if it's mindless, I'm going to excel at it. If you have me think about it, then you're in trouble because I'm not just going to think about it. I'm going to overthink and then I'm going to think some more and then I'm going to think some more and some more and some more and some more and some more. <laughs> How do you negotiate pay for things? Is it like, uh, is it just very clear like, oh, this is what we get paid or is every single thing negotiated differently? The most common way for a lot of people is third-party sites like Upwork. And so during times when I've had my head down and really been working an establishment job, I relied on Upwork because it allows me to put myself out there or accept things as I want to. And, and Upwork is just one of many. And, and no, this is not a plug for Upwork in any way. I haven't been compensated. It's just one that people generally recognize. For sites like that, it's usually upfront. The person who is soliciting work will say, this is what I'm willing to pay. Or in some cases, the person who is soliciting work to be done is this is what I am seeking for. These are the services that I provide. And in some cases, people negotiate, but in most cases, you know what's fair and what's not. And you also know uh, on sites like that, because people are rated, you know what you're getting. And so, you know, I'm getting an A1 person. So if this person's fee is 5, 10, 15% more than, you know, the cheap or 50% more than the cheapest one, um, and maybe 5 or 10% uh, more than the next lowest one, I'm willing to pay it because this is a person who has, has been said to get results based on other people's reviews. Got it. Yeah, I, in, in researching this episode, I looked up and I found Upwork and also Pro Blogger is another website that's similar. Yeah. Very similar. The, the thing with Upwork is that you can also do other stuff. So I got 
not sick of, but at some point I was like, well, people keep asking me if I'm a singer, does my voice like that? And so I did a, there was a fashion show and they needed some voice drops done. And I was with one of my buddies who's a news reporter. And so the music producer who was there had her do it. And he thought, oh yeah, she's going to be great. But she couldn't shake her, <laughs> she couldn't shake her reporter voice. So it wasn't sexy. And it was a sexy scene for the fashion show. And so he was like, no, I, I cannot have blankety blank from, you know, Channel 5 News <laughs> giving the sexy voice drop. Go away. <laughs> and so as we were joking about it all, I'm laughing. And he was like, who is that laughing? And I was like, hmm? And he said, did you just say hmm? And I was like, he said, you do the drop. He was like, go to, and he's, a, he's also a choir director. He was like, you were in choir, right? And I was like, yeah. He was like, big, you got it. Go to your lowest register. Think about the sexiest moment you had in your life. Stay in that low register. But if you go up, go up real sexy. And don't be like weird where there's some kind of gradual incline to that upper register or to your falsetto do it to where it's sudden, like, how did she do that? And I did it. And he was like, oh my goodness. So not only did we do the fashion show, all of the scenes, which wasn't his plan, but he had me do some work for some of his artists he was producing. And so the other thing with Upwork is that you, you can do voice work. You can get people who want you to do that. Those prices, when they're put out, are usually market rate. And then to your other question, yes, there are some times because I know what's fair and because I know what's commonly accepted, but then also because I know my worth and I know what people yield from what I do. When people come to me privately, it's a private conversation and I'm always upfront. I give information as to where they are able to find market rate. Uh, I also give testimonies from other people that lets them know what they've had me do and what their results were from that. But I'm only speaking for myself. You will have some people who they change their prices and their format by the day of the week. Mine is standard because I just can't keep up with all that. I'm not, you know, oh, this was last month was a good month. So I'll charge a little less this month now because any month can be a bad month in my world. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I found I also found an article on ptmoney.com, part time money to see what ghostwriters get paid. And of course, it ranges. So but what they said was starting on a website called textbroker.com. If you write there, you could get $8 for 500 words. And then it said another thing was $150 to $1,500 for a blog post. And then for books, it ranged from 10 cents to a dollar per word, which a dollar per word seems crazy high to me. Not if those words are good words, I'm telling you. But a book? But how many words is a book? It really depends on what I'm writing. It, and it depends on it depends on a number of factors. You'd be surprised. I mean, you think about okay. Let me let me just put this into perspective. Um, and you know, it is what it is. I'm not alone in this. But I once wrote for a political site. I once wrote for several political sites, and they are sites that take the news and just give it a, a real voice. All of it is accurate. All of it can be linked to. Uh, legit sources, but it's just instead of hearing it from uh, you know Tom Brokaw, you're hearing it from you know Jada. That's kind of that's the spin on it. Um, usually, twelve hundred words or less. Not quite clickbait, but a title that definitely because the titles were accurate. So not clickbait, but definitely not written like this thing happened in Flint, Michigan, with the water or tornadoes in three states. You know, to get people's attention. I once made in a month on that site 
$12,000. I was one of the lowest paid people. There were people who made in the 30 something thousand dollars in a month, in a month. This was around the president 45, the transition from 44 to 45, the 45 presidency. Those same people are still in that, that work and they still make that kind of money. And so when you think about that, it's like, whoa. And then when you think about the fact that not many people, and I'm not one of those people, not many people still read traditional books. I need to have a book in my hand. Some people are all online. And so the way that we you know, classify what a book is has changed. So sometimes just because it's on a mobile device, people read it a little bit more. So a book that would be in someone's hand that would be like, this isn't a book. This is more like a pamphlet. That's a book online. And if it's high hit, then that dollar a word was worth every penny. Yeah. For that $12,000 a month, was that on Upwork? No, that was a, a, a political, some polit- well, a political writing site. I'll leave it at that. Did, did you apply to that site or did somebody reach out to you and say, hey, can you write for this site? Someone reached out to me. So I worked at, I was the, the supervisor of a domestic and intimate partner violence and sexual assault shelter, shelter that serves people who were experiencing homelessness as a result of, like I said, domestic or intimate partner violence or sexual assault. And then we also did heavy, heavy sex trafficking work. And I had a colleague, every time I would send an email, she would be like, damn, reading what you write is like reading something I love. And at the time, I didn't know that she was saying that as a writer herself. She's, she is, she's a, she's a gifted writer. She kept telling me, uh, this was probably back in 2015, she kept telling me she needed to talk to me, but I, I had my head down climbing a hill. It was a very emotionally and mentally taxing job. And so everybody was coming at me with different ideas because they knew, because all of us had a hustle, you know, and, sh- and you can't work in shelters and not have a hustle because you just, you don't get paid anything. Even as a member of leadership, I didn't. And so I, I was working too many jobs and doing too much to try to keep it together. So each time she would come to me, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then I got it in my head that I just didn't do the shelter anymore. Like I was tired all the time. That trauma was just too much. I would go places and people would be like, hey, Miss Miss J, you, you were my such and such as worker when her boyfriend killed her. And I'd be like, ugh, that is not what I want to be known for. I got it in my head that it was time to transition. And so I was like, hey, what was that opportunity you were talking about? She was like, meet me at my mom's house on Sunday and I'll get you set up. I was like, oh Lord, what is going on here? And then I got over there and she showed me what the site was. And I was like, I read that. And she was like, well, I am blankety blank. And she told me her pen name. And I said, well, I'll be, I use a pen name as well. And she was like, I know I've been looking for you. I've been, you know, once I figured out that I was going to approach you because um, long story bearable was funded by the son of a very wealthy millionaire, the son of a retailer, this one particular site. So he had the the money to pay to get the infrastructure to immediately get set up to get, you know, Google AdSense. He trusted the people he trusted to keep him low key to also recruit people like me. And it was a little bit clandestine. <laughs> a little bit. It was, you know, all on the up and up. And because there was a certain amount of liability associated with it. Um, because, you know, we were coming up on that truly fake news, what's being put out, we're paying more attention to how politically charged it is. We really did have a strict set of expectations around 
how you're citing, what sources could be cited, how you reframed that information that you presented. So, and then he, he made a book out of it, the, the person who funded it. And so a book of very well-written political posts about specific things in American events in certain periods of time. So it's things that we kind of take for granted because we just don't think this technically about, but it's all more common than we imagine. Yeah. And I'm trying to get a, a pay range for you because you're also, you've never been a full-time ghostwriter, right? You've always had other jobs too? Always. So no, there, you know, there's really no range because one, it's fickle. It's dependent on so many variables. I mean, I do know people who, who do it full time, but they, they hump for that. They grind for that. Those are my people who they do a lot of work on medium. They do a lot of work for those clickbait type things. They do a lot of paid review writing. And that's another thing people forget. Another form of ghost writing is those paid reviews where you see the disclaimer, this review was written as part of a promotional campaign. That's me. I've done that too. Um, very much ghost writing because no, I have not tried that product. I just thought I wrote what I thought I would like say about the product. You know what I'm saying? I can't even afford the product. I don't even really want it. You know, I would never buy uh, fishermen's waiters. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's really, it, for some people, it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year and they do it full time. And then there are some people who also do it full time and they just don't see anything because it's so fickle. Yeah. If you ignore the times that you didn't get paid to write something, because I just assume you have done some of that, what's the lowest you've been paid? And then what's the highest? And was that $12,000 in a month? Was that the highest you've been paid? So the lowest, and this one hurt my feelings, in the early 2000s, I wrote a $5 million grant and I wrote myself into the grant. And it was $5 million, quite a bit of it, pretty unrestricted, pretty unprecedented, particularly for that time, because back then we weren't having robust conversations around how it's inappropriate to make people prove their need. And so funds were given to nonprofits in pretty restricted ways. You had to do this and almost down to, you know, the penny and, you know, the particular usage of it. And so I wrote this grant and it was awarded. I wrote myself into it and I didn't receive a dime. And it was very, very, very research intensive. Oh my gosh, because it was a very, it was a, it was a government grant. I just can't even describe how particular things were. The, the wordage had to be between so many words and it had to cite certain codes and it was it was extremely laborious it was hard it really stretched me and so that one hurt and the person I wrote it for was someone I I really looked up to and respected and who gained a lot not just getting the grant but what it meant to get the to get the grant and that was something that took a lot of time in addition to me having a job you know so I did this on my own time we had a little episode about grant writing and I don't want to call it a dirty little secret about grant writing, but it's like you can only get grants if you have somebody to write the grant application. Another form of ghostwriting. Another form of ghostwriting. And, and it takes, like you alluded to, it takes research, it takes time. And all these arts organizations think, oh, we can get a grant if we just have somebody sort of work on it a little bit. But you have to put a ton of time and effort 
and meeting the requirements and all that. So I can only imagine a $5 million grant, how much time that took for you. And this was after I had done the Articles of Incorporation. I created the nonprofit and I did that just because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And uh, I wanted to prove to myself that it was time for me to start offering that as a service and quit letting people, you know, basically pimp me like I had been done in that situation because I created the nonprofit and I didn't get paid. So the reason why I and I and that was fine because I didn't want to be. And I said I was doing it because I wanted to prove to myself that I could. But the person still could have been like, oh, that's a lot of work. You've done this. I went out and got the board members and made suggestions. You know, I did the, I did, I did it all. And so the person was never even like, oh my gosh, I know this is a, a very uh, costly service. Let me just give this love donation or anything like that. And so the writing of myself into that $5 million grant was also like, let me get a little bit of my lick back. Cause you, you know, you, you took advantage. I gave you an inch and you took a mile. And also a lot of things changed in the, in the, formation of the agency, the program or whatever, that weren't part of what we had initially discussed. I think it was a headache trying to get information from the people, from the organization. It was just a big mess. And so. Um, all right. So segue into what's the most you've ever been paid? <laughs> I once got, and it's so messed up. It's really bittersweet for me to say this because I'm in so much debt to the IRS over this. Ugh. But I once made in a month, well over $100,000 a month, well over. That was from several projects though. That wasn't from one, but it was in a one month period of time. I had a, a few articles on the political site that they did what we call hit. That means within the first like 10 minutes, I got over a hundred thousand. Once you do that, you know, it's going to soar. And so that's like hitting the jackpot at the casino. So I had a few of those that just did very well. I had some reviews that were just killer i guess oh and that's the other thing google reviews i get paid for google reviews too um and not all of those are authentic reviews ever <laughs> most of them are not what am i doing why am i leaving a google review and not getting paid for it i need to re-examine my life because you got to leave a whole you got to get a whole you got to do a whole lot all right wait how can i write it how can i write a google review and get paid for it jw tell me <laughs> You write a whole lot of them and then Google will reach out to you and they'll start by giving you things. So the Google services. So the first thing that I got, which I never realized how much it would come in handy. The first thing that I got was extra storage. Oh my gosh, that is a gem. Extra Google storage. And then it was certain restaurants would invite or businesses would invite me to come just so that I could leave a review. Um, and then some of them would be sponsors, like those those that you see that are, this is part of a sponsored product. Those were particularly done for uh, stores and ordering sites. Oh my gosh. All right. Go so yeah, you just got to leave them. I leave them every once in a while and Google sends me a- No, you got to- Oh my gosh. They send me like updates. Like a lot of people have seen this and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And yeah, I ignore they them. They want you to keep doing it. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't ignore it. <laughs> well, the all right, this is the most valuable piece of information I've just pulled from this interview. <laughs> it started out in some cases because I, you know, maybe I didn't have, maybe I had a really good experience and I just wanted everybody to know. And I would say a lot of endearing stuff, but even if I didn't have a good experience somewhere, I would always highlight something good, you know, something that went well. And that seemed to go over very well with folks. And like I said, when Google reached out and gave me that extra storage, this was several years ago. 
I didn't realize the value of it until I almost ran out of storage here recently and was like, wait a minute, I'm not going to run out technically because I've got extra. But in between there, like I said, getting all kinds of other little stuff. Wow. Okay. So everybody, if you need something Google reviewed, email artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. That's what I'm going to do in my spare time. Just review things. <laughs> and, and let me tell you this too. There are people who pay me to do reviews. So people know that I do reviews. People reach out to me and say, will you do a review? Amazing. This is all amazing. Okay. When you get paid, uh, is this all 1099 income? Have you, or do you ever get W-2 income where the taxes are already taken out? <laughs> the 1099 situation got me oh so screwed because I had never seen that much money at one time. I cannot even lie. I didn't know what to do. They kept saying, well, we're going to send you this and we're going to send you that. And I didn't really know what to do with it. And I didn't know who to ask. And I had I thought I had a good tax person, but a tax person wasn't, wasn't familiar with seeing that much extra income either. And so didn't give me the best advice, but I acknowledge, you know, ultimately in all of this, it was on me to know better, to have researched it, to have asked other people, but I didn't, I wasn't comfortable being vulnerable to the other writers to be like, Hey, you're a better, you do better than me financially. I saw that you got $54,000 last month. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, I, I just love that you took, you just took responsibility for knowing what the IRS wants out of us. Yeah, Because at this point I owe so much over this period of time. So when the thing, when the notice came, it was like, you're almost $15,000 in debt to the Uncle Sam was like, fudge, because I knew when it said for the tax years, this and that, I was like, excuse my language, because I knew it. And so that's the other thing, you know, people who want to engage in ghostwriting got to, you know, now I know what to do. And I'm just paying off that time of, you know, ignorance is a choice in the age of information and you pay for choices in life. And I get it. And I don't have to agree with it or the fact that if I were a business, this would not be impacting me in, in this way. I would get certain graces. I could write it off. Like, you know, I, there would be a way for me to get it back. But ultimately, I did not do what I was supposed to do. And so um, I now make sure, I'm, and I'm super diligent about that. If it is a 1099 situation, I wait. <laughs> like, I don't file my taxes until the very last minute because a lot of the 1099 situations are where people are like me, they're flighty, they're, they're busy, they're tired. So they may not get that in to, you know, get me my information on time. And then also uh, have shifted to, I do a lot for donations now. And I am explicit when I say that, because if you're willing to donate, depending on how much I care about the cause, your $5 donation might be good enough. And so I can't be held accountable for donations. So it, that is, oh, golly, that whole pay situation, though. But again, if I had known then what I know now, I would have stuck more to like Upwork. And then when I did contract work uh, in terms of grant writing and whatnot, I would have negotiated that differently to where I, I would have been a formal contract employee, not a third-party contractor. So for Upwork, do they take out the taxes before they pay you? Yes, if you want them to, if you want them to. Of course, you can say you don't. It was advantageous for me to want them to. I, I'm one of the few people I know that likes the taxes taken out. Because people are like, oh, 1099 work, you can expense and do this and do that. Oh, that's Oh, my gosh. That's so wubulous. I, I'm like, no, take the taxes. Take what I owe. Great, great, great. 
That makes it way better so I don't have to pay a check at tax time. <laughs> All right, so I've already taken a whole hour of your time, so I'm going to rapidly f finish here because I don't want to keep you forever because you've been so generous with your time. So it's just some action steps. If somebody wants to do some ghostwriting and they want to get paid for it, how would you suggest they start? Yelp, and because I talked specifically about Google, but I didn't even go into Yelp and how that was a springboard because people came to know me. They came to know my reviews as trustworthy and so businesses. Uh, I remember going to Tampa, Florida and we had so much paid for because people wanted us to, wanted me to leave reviews. Uh, my car service was paid for by the company, several restaurant dinners. And the thing is I was in Florida for the National Educators of America conference. <laughs> so it was paid for by the, the teachers associates, the teachers union I was in at the time. So there are several ways that you can get started. And the biggest one is to just write, find ways to write. So whether it's doing Yelp and Google reviews, inviting people to utilize you for various content, starting a blog, just know that that's, that's labor intensive and it's discouraging as I don't know what because I think about how hard I've worked at times on my median, medium stuff. And it's like the most I've ever gotten paid is $13. And it's like, I know you all got a lot of hits. So that's pretty discouraging. I like, especially in the beginning, I think one of the things that served me well was seeing big return on investments very early on that were consistent with what I was seeing in college. And so that's the other thing, diversify, tap into as many markets as possible. If you are of student age or you are connected to people who are students, definitely utilize the network that academia provides. I think that we have a more competitive market, even in high school. This is so crazy, but our high school babies are in baccalaureate programs, international baccalaureate programs that are tantamount to freshman, sophomore year of college. And they're doing this as freshmen, sophomores in high school. And if my child were in one of these programs, I definitely would invest in someone like me because no child needs that kind of pressure. She's, she does the work. Now I want someone to refine the work. And so having someone like me around was helpful for a lot of high schools. I never did their work, but I often gave them suggested revisions and edited and, and made sure that they were citing stuff properly because they could get kicked out of the program if they plagiarized. And a lot of times they did, it wasn't intentional or malicious. It was just Oh, I, I thought I, you know, I, I thought I knew that. I didn't know I had to cite. Yeah, I know you know it, but you know it because blankety blank did it. You know, it was blankety blank's theory. So you, but I thought if it was my knowledge, yes, it is your knowledge that you got because of blankety blank. So get into those opportunities. If there is some kind of community forum on social media that you're connected to where people uh, announce goods and services that offer yours in those kinds of settings. Start a, even though it may not seem like a lucrative thing anymore and it's not as lucrative as it used to be, but definitely start a Facebook likes page, get on LinkedIn, know that if you get on some of those sites, depending on what you're, you know, it's, they're fickle. So if you don't blow up and become the star that many people are who you may feel aren't as good as you. Know that that's part of it too. Just keep going. The biggest thing is write, 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 write. Any chance that you have to write, seize it. Uh, know that it, it, it's not always going to yield a good result. Most times it won't, and that's going to hurt. But 
those blows add up and you'll get some blows of your own in there. And when they come, they'll feel really, really good. If you're ready to write a book or something like that, then go ahead and do it. Put the funds aside to make sure that you have a strong editor. Decide what your self-publishing journey is going to look like and put it all out there. If you want to start out small and write, uh, you know, like a compilation, do that. But just write, write whatever it is, write, be open to criticism. If you're not writing to be agreed with, say that, you know, be ready for the criticism that comes when you're putting yourself out there. Like, what do you all think about that? Because that hurts and it's going to come. It's part of the process. Uh, But write, 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 write. And if you are, if you have the capacity to definitely get on those third party sites and make your services available. JW, that was awesome. Enough about ghostwriting, or is there anything I missed or you want to say about ghostwriting before we wrap up? You know, people will, it is what it is. People who don't understand things or who aren't able to do things will say negative. And as someone who has utilized ghostwriting services, because keep in mind, a resume, having someone else paying someone to do your resume, that's ghostwriting. So as someone who has utilized ghostwriting services and someone who has provided them, I, I see how honest it is and how sometimes you need someone else to tell a story or to to put something out there. And that's not a bad thing. We know when it has been a bad thing. So don't be discouraged by people who say bad things. And you know, if you're crossing that line and if you're not sure, then have systems and methods of accountability that hold you accountable for betting whether or not you're still on the good and pure side or you kind of crossed over into the greedy and foolish. It's writing. You know, we, we put labels on things and then they become things that they are not or don't have to be, but it's writing. It's writing. Awesome. I love it. Is there any financial advice that you would give to a young person who's starting in their career right now? Do what you need to do in the moment. You only, all you have is the moment. If you are from generations of wealth and you you are able to see far enough ahead to where you're able to live out that far and plan it out okay but if you're not and you're just out here trying to figure it out then give yourself permission to do just that there's no handbook on it but what we do know is that there are some people who are positioned for success from conception and that's not all of us and if we live our lives by the standards of that former group then we'll always find ourselves falling short. But if we live our our lives by the standards we set for ourselves in a given moment, on a given day, knowing that that's truly all we have, then when we're finished and all is said and done, it'll still be, you know, well done, well done, good job, life well lived. You weren't out here being foolish with money, but were there times when you were careless? Yes, we do that. So you know, we still live in the system that we live in. So is it important to be mindful of things that will keep you out of jail as far as financial matters are concerned? Definitely. But I, I just disclosed that I am in deep debt to the IRS. I just didn't know what to do. My pride would not let me go to anybody and say, what do I do? And then the, some of the people who I would ask, that, instead of just saying they didn't know, uh, my mother being one of them, her pride would let her say, I don't know, but, you know, let me ask someone. She just got, you know, kind of frustrated. Like, you should know. You're the one making the money. Like, is that how we answer questions these days? Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm paying it back. I'm, I'm on a payment plan. I'm paying it back. 
I've got a couple of other years that I know are going to hit. It's going to add to that debt and I'm going to keep on paying. And it is what it is. But will it happen again? No, don't let it happen again. That was the other piece of advice. When you mess up because you will, don't let it happen again. And if it happens again, let it happen in a different way. Yeah, I love it. And I can assure you because of the kinds of questions I ask people, your financial IRS deal is certainly not the worst we've heard of here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, you know, it is a common theme among various kinds of artists. It is, there's no handbook on it. And for some people, you know, it doesn't work this the way that some of us describe. Some people got it from the beginning. They knew what to do. Some of us, we just figured it out. But I love that advice of just do what you need to in the moment. All this baggage that we bring with it of like, we're doing it wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you have a situation, deal with it. However, that is. And if consequences <laughs> come from that, take them. And if you need help taking them, ask for that support because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of it. And we do not have to shoulder, you know, the, yes, we have to take our consequences, but we don't have to take them alone. We, we are worthy of support, even if that support looks like accountability. And uh, yeah, just don't make it again. All right. Uh, where can people connect with you if you want them to? Well, I would give LinkedIn, but I've been kicked off. Uh, I will give my email address. It is girl, G-I-R-L, Friday, F-R-I-D-A-Y, followed by the numbers 0515 at gmail.com. So girl, Friday, 0515 at gmail.com. Fantastic. All right, JW, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it and I loved it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are anybody can ghostwrite for anything. I could have gotten better grades in school if I had hired a ghostwriter. Google and Yelp reviews. Okay, I've always known that half of online reviews or more were compensated or fake, let's say. And I've seen business groups online where somebody launches a product and the group of several hundred people each buy that product and then leave a review so that the product gets shot into the bestseller ranking. And I've also seen that happen a lot with book sales where people will buy a bunch, leave reviews, and it gets to the bestseller ranking that way. I also knew that companies will provide their goods and services sometimes in exchange for a review. However, it never really dawned on me that I, Ethan Steimel, could be doing this. And finally, I checked out problogger.com, and there are lots of people seeking writing assistance. So if you enjoy writing and you want to give it a go, I suggest browsing that site and see if there are any jobs that you could do. Side note, if you really want to practice writing, remember that Artistic Finance is always grateful for a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify lets you rate, but Apple also lets you review. So did you learn anything from today's interview? If so, let me know by commenting on LinkedIn. My profile is Ethan Steimel, and there's also a business page for Artistic Finance. Or you can email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. To my patrons, thank you for your support. And let me brag about how wonderful my patrons are. So last week, I sent out the budget of the artistic finance expenses and income for 2020, 2021, and a projected budget for 2022. And so this week, several patrons upped their contribution amounts. The total increase was $30 a month, which 
may not sound like a lot, but that's a 22% increase in our Patreon income. So I asked patrons why the increase they're giving, and one of the reasons was your budget looked really sad, <laughs> which I love that answer. But I wanted to say that I put the budget out there to be transparent. I consider the fact that 24 people choose to support the show as a great accomplishment and a sign that these conversations are important and important to be made public. And while the budget might show my lack of business acumen, perhaps, remember that 25% of the artistic finance income we take and we give it to other creators. So currently you, the patrons, are supporting me, but also are supporting 14 other artists. 12 of them are on Patreon, two are on other platforms, and our support ranges from $1 a month to $25 a month. And I'm saying all this to explain that while we haven't broken even on the artistic finance expenses when you look at our budget, that is a conscious choice to be supportive of other artists as we scale. Now, if you like this content and you want to support the show, pledge amounts start at $3 a month. You can cancel anytime and you get early access to episodes and the outtakes from the shows. Join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. If you're not a patron, but you're curious about the budget, I'm going to make those publicly available on Patreon. So you can view those at patreon.com slash artistic finance, whether you're a patron or not. That's it for this week's episode. I'm now just shooting the breeze with you, the super listeners who are still here. So last night, I watched Behind the Curve, a 2018 documentary about people who believe that the earth is flat. Now, I'd been avoiding this because I thought it would make fun of flat earthers, and making fun of anyone is not my favorite form of entertainment. My whole life, anytime I see people making fun of others, even if the others have viewpoints separate from mine, it gives me a sinking feeling in my gut. But the movie was quite tasteful. There was a couple funny moments, but they were done in total fun. And if anything, the viewpoint was mostly from the flat earther perspective. And while I don't believe that the world is flat, given that I've worked with light my whole life and the properties of light don't fit into the flat earth model, but I could be friends with all these flat earthers. What I saw was a bunch of fun people that really are just bucking the norm a bit. What I saw could easily have been a group of artists or theater people who the world views as artistes or a little bit off, but in reality are just humans surrounding themselves with like-minded humans. To any flat earthers listening, I love you. I appreciate you. I don't agree with you on the flat earth idea. Nonetheless, you rock. So again, that's Behind the Curve, available on Netflix. No reason to recommend it other than I just enjoyed it, and it wasn't quite what I expected. You may not think it has anything to do with art or finance, but it definitely has something to do with finance, and they show someone that builds globes of the flat earth. Wait, that doesn't sound right. That builds models of the flat earth, which to me is beautiful art and super cool. If you have some time, check out that show. That's it for today. One last thank you to you wonderful patrons. Next week, we're going to cover Dave Ramsey's model for saving money. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. 
make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.